0: Global
1: Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm
0: Ralph Sinclair and I'm the editor of Global Capital. And I'm John Hay, the corporate finance and sustainability editor.
2: And I'm Silas Brown, the leverage finance editor.
0: This podcast will take
1: you each week through some of the biggest and most interesting stories you need to know about for your week ahead. And if you want to read more about what we're discussing today, please go to globalcapital.com. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe to the podcast. A new episode is out every Friday afternoon, and we publish it to all the major platforms. So if you search for Global Capital, we should miraculously appear. Don't forget to leave a glowing five-star review either, if you're so inclined. It sustains us. Today, we're talking about the perils of direct lending in Europe. This is a market that has swollen since it was first imported from the US about a decade ago to 138 billion dollars, according to data from Frequent. Silas, can you first of all tell us what direct lending is and what parts of the capital markets it reaches that other asset classes
2: don't? Okay, so direct lending, as you um, pointed out, came into Europe in around 2011, 2012. Uh, if you speak to direct lenders, they'll say it came into it came into the market in response to banks leaving the market due to I suppose regulatory reasons but also i don't i I think it just wasn't very profitable uh franchise for them direct lenders focus on um mid-market corporates often companies that are backed by private equity um funds um they offer kind of high margin in relative terms loans uh to companies but with pretty borrower friendly documentation um very flexible and certainly you know, how it's kind of described uh, to me by by direct lenders is that they, they see the relationship as, as as somewhat of a partnership, that they'll lend once and then the expectation is that they might lend again um, through the growth, the growth of the company.
0: It all sounds very good, but Ralph said something
2: about peril. <laughs> um, well, um, it's good that we all see peril around the corner. Um, I think that <laughs> um, that's good for Joe. That's our job. <laughs> um uh, look, it, it's had quite a meteoric rise. Um, I mean, really rapid expansion in Europe, um, um, and they've been kind of taking the taking the lunch of, of of other of other financial markets. One of the things that I find hard to understand in direct lending is is, is just how private it is. I mean, it's an opaque market. Journalists have to be quite skillful to to, to get inside the market or get anything get anything juicy out of it. I mean, why we're speaking about this is 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 an article I wrote this week about about um, about covenant protections in the market. Um, I don't know how much you want me to go into it uh, right now, but one of the things that direct lenders lo- love, um, kind of bragging about, is that they're a covenanted market. Um, that unlike uh, uh, unlike other kind of other comparable markets, which have had you know great covenant shedding and cover uh, infect the market. They still keep hold of at least a net leverage covenant. Um but what at least some people in the market think is that actually the leverage covenant isn't really protecting lenders' investments at all in some instances. Um and I don't know if you want me to go into the specifics of why that is now. Well let's
1: let's get to that a bit later. I just I'm curious though because as as you mentioned, um investor protection, so covenants, leverage covenant being um a limit on the amount of debt a company can have. Um, those protections have been weakening to the point of non-existence for years in the leveraged finance market, for example, yet that market seems to be going from strength to strength. And so what does it matter if uh, direct lending is going the same way.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of our fellow journalists bought, um, uh, uh, wrote a piece, Owen Sanderson, about how um, maybe he's through with complaining about covenant um, covenant shedding, and, and actually it's sort of all fine. I mean, I think the, the, the key distinction between uh, conventional leveraged finance markets and direct lending is that direct lending is in a liquid asset class. You can't simply transfer your exposure or sell your exposure, um, you know, too easily. And so protections are kind of more important in that respect. Um, you know, and they act effectively as an early, early, early warning sign. Um, I think, in answer to your question, just about 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 why should why should why should we care or or or, or um, why is it significant? I think um, one of the things that I've, I found in 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 the reporting I did this week um, was that. This interesting gap between um, what a fund manager, namely the person who who doles out the investments for for the fund, and its LPs, namely the investors into the fund, the information gap between those two parties is quite stark. Often, LPs don't necessarily really know what's uh, what the fund manager is investing in. Now they can ask, and I think fund managers, to their credit, are, are probably quite quite open with them. Um, but, I mean, in, in, in one instance, um, one fund manager told me that it's very commonplace just for LPs to hand out questionnaires to uh, uh, a, a range of fund managers. And as long as they tick the right boxes, so, you know, they tick the senior secured box... They take the box that all their deals have a leverage covenant. They take the box that they're interested in kind of ESG investment. Then, um, hey presto, they get the the investment. But in terms of due diligence beyond that, I think for some of the LPs, it's um, it's quite slim.
0: But at some point, these investors have got to make money for their customers, right? They can they can get perhaps raise money on the strength of ticking boxes but the investors are going to want to see some returns are they actually producing the goods
2: well i think have they delivered the goods um well we'll have to wait and see i mean obviously a a kind of a sort of prima facie evidence of of them delivering the goods is the amount of money that's piling into the market i mean in a you know in a low interest rate environment and um you know against its competitors i think direct lending does stack up against other markets in terms of debt markets, in terms of returns. Um, I think one of the interesting things to kind of uh, get to grips with in the market is is kind of how direct lenders get returns. Um, so these direct lenders are, uh, they're targeting a seven or eight um, uh, percent IRR um, uh for their funds, typically. Um, Now, margins are coming in in direct lending. And so how do direct lenders kind of keep up with that target? Well, certain fund managers say that what they can do is kind of get riskier. So instead of doing first lien, senior secured debt, they can go down to second lien. Or instead of investing in companies with, uh a three to four times leverage they can invest in companies with a seven to eight times leverage uh, and they can they can push out and push down the credit spectrum to generate the returns they need the, the returns the returns that they need uh silas you talked about
1: how the funds uh can make riskier investments to keep up their return targets but if there are leverage covenants or an understanding of a leverage limit between the LPs and the funds,
2: how can the funds get away with that? Well, um, there's differing opinions on, 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 how, on how they all do this. The most the sceptical most of people in the market will say that um, uh, funds, funds often promise to LPs that they have a net leverage covenant. And what that, that covenant implies is low leverage namely they're not investing in companies with high debt loads but what it actually means is um, that they will impose a kind of a a leverage covenant on top of the existing leverage that the company has and the standard commonplace uh, um, headroom in the market is around 30 to 35 percent but as as a few people have pointed out to me in the market I mean if if you're investing in a in, in a company that's eight times levered and you put uh, an an eleven times uh, covenant on top of that. I mean, that's not really uh, a leverage covenant in, in the purest sense of the words. It's more of a
1: meaningless cap than a than a meaningful control. You'd
2: have thought. Um, I think one of the caveats to say is that is that other people who are slightly less um, who are slightly slightly more kind of uh, earnest supporters of the direct lending market would say. Well, firstly, we have covenants, and, and a lot of leveraged finance deals don't have any covenants anymore. I mean, the crossover names, for example. Um, also, as one person described it to me, that uh, she said, she said, you know, effectively, it's better to do a, a good deal with terrible documentation than it is a. Uh, you know, a, 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 a bad deal with great documentation. And actually, what you'll find is, w- with the with the with the deals that are kind of eight times levered with 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 poor covenant with poor covenant protection, those are normally for companies that direct lenders feel, um, you know, a very stable a very stable businesses. Say like kind of, um, you know, recurring revenue businesses or, um, you know, with with kind of high high EV multiples. So, um, so in a way you know the 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 earnest the earnest supporters to 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 use that phrase again um would would argue that actually uh the inverse is possible the, the 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 way this works is inverted namely the the better a company is you know the more direct lenders are prepared to uh compromise on covenants um and and the worse the company is the more covenants they expect which which makes theoretical sense to me too and ultimately, like you mentioned, rates are low.
1: It's hard to earn any money anywhere, but that also means that debt is affordable. Yeah. So ultimately, does it does it really matter? Yeah, I mean, mean it's not as if we're looking for, it's not like rates are going to five ten percent in the next year. uh Oh, this most This likely. is recorded, Ralph.
2: So you're you're being held to that. <laughs> um, okay, so I didn't say what market. <laughs> um, so, so what do I think about that? I think that um, you're right. Uh, direct lending has been through the coronavirus obviously that's not over there's still a lot of uh, fiscal packages to be dismantled and we'll see how that affects the mid-market um, but so far as a po- uh, um, apart from a kind of pockets of problems like the UK high street which direct lenders were exposed to um, the the market as a whole has come out pretty pretty, pretty well, actually. that hasn't been a systemic problem that I think a lot of people at the start of the pandemic thought there might be. And so, yes, I mean, you know, uh, um, as the market kind of continues to kind of offer up lo- very low rates of default, then maybe it isn't a problem that covenants are becoming looser and leverage is getting wider and and, and, and all of these things. But I mean, you know, in a very obvious sense. is like it's not bad until it's bad. Um, and ultimately, covenants are there to protect you when the market turns. And the market hasn't turned yet, um, but doesn't mean it won't. What about the borrowers?
0: What, what are they getting out of it compared with other sources of finance? Because um, it sounds like there's, there's money being showered at them from all quarters. So why are the direct lending providers able to make loans? Why are they competitive?
2: Um, I hate to do the the irritating thing that uh, that that sources do to you, do, do to me, but you know it depends on the credit. That sort of that sort of answer, I guess. You know, I, I think broadly, um, certainly if you speak to direct lenders, they say there is a very visible retreat from from, from 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 bank lenders, and it's not that banks aren't prepared to lend; it's just that they expect. To share the ticket with uh, a number of other banks, um, so you know they expect sort of a, a ticket size of like thirty to fifty million, um, and if you want two hundred million, that means that you have to really open up to a to a kind of to a quite a large club of, of, of banks. With direct lenders, they're desperate to deploy. I mean, they have a huge amount of dry powder. They're desperate to deploy kind of on a sole or very small club basis. Um, I think they they point to the the instruments flexibility the fact that you can you know through the coronavirus i think as an example that the market be, could be quite nimble with its documentation it could kind of um relax relax covenants um uh, you know offer more capital it's more of a partnership than a kind of bank a, a bank is um i think also you have to take this with a pinch of salt i guess but like you know that they say that you know that even the kind of bureaucracy of 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 the banking system is quite hard i mean if you want to execute a deal a, a kind of fresh deal with new banks versus a fresh deal with new lenders the, the new direct lenders take a much shorter amount of time to get you that capital um i, I would say though that the, the uh, bank lending is typically uh has tighter pricing than 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 the direct lending market i mean so it's still a bit of a leap for a mid-market corporate to, to, to kind of to um, wriggle out of the grip of, of 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 the banking market.
1: And these are companies that presumably can't go to the bond
2: market. No, they're too small. Of, I mean, often too small. Um, often too small to go to the bond market. Um, as I said, they're often often also um, uh, sponsored by large private equity groups and and and, and as as I think we spoke about touched on earlier. I mean, a lot of the direct lending market kind of emerged from private equity or attached to private equity groups as well. So there's, there's some more of a kind of collaboration between the private equity groups and the direct direct lenders um, at the expense of um, uh, the banks.
1: Have you had any sense uh, from direct lenders or any LPs that they're alive to this
2: problem of leverage covenants people have been quite candid about it um i think the people who consider it a problem consider it a real problem um uh, they think that there's basically um there's basically a, a, a kind of slug of risk that the market um isn't kind of aware of or isn't taking seriously and that this is a this this could be a sort of sy- systemic concern um uh um, but again, you know, if they if, if if they keep on chalking up very low rates of defaults and high and, and high and high margins, then you, you you could you could forgive LPs to not uh, to kind of to to not sort of pull the reins um, in this market. Um, I think also direct lenders would say, look, they're very they're very good at determining risk and they're very good at analysing mid market credits. And although maybe at face value a company might have AX leverage, uh, which in a kind of normal theoretical sense might be a bad thing, in this instance isn't. I think that's what they would they would argue. Um, however, a number of people have told me that the limited partners, particularly the smaller kind of retirement funds, pension funds, they just don't ask these questions. Um, so fund managers don't really get, I mean, they might do from the like, sort of larger sovereign wealth funds and the larger um, you know more international or internationally minded um, pension funds um, who have experience investing in different ass- asset classes they might get these sort of questions but for a lot of the investors they just perhaps don't have the sophistication to 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 understand this to understand this potential risk John categorized the market as something of
1: a sort of junior partner to the leverage finance market. I mean, does that sort of apply here in terms of the investor base too, that there's something of a less sophisticated cousin in that sense? Yeah. It sounds like, uh, you know, screening criteria by way of a basic questionnaire um, <laughs> strikes me as the sort of thing that those more used to a, shall we say, devilish level of financial chicanery would not sort of tolerate.
2: Yeah, I think um, perhaps it's uh, perhaps it's an illustration of the infancy of the market that um, people haven't kind of fine tuned their probing questions. Um, I was surprised. I was quite surprised by the level of cynicism I got from um, certain fund managers um, when discussing the LPs um, and discussing cynicism how. I'm sorry. How cynicism? How. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, one 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 person described it as dumb money. One person said, effectively, you know, as long as you, as long as you say, look, this is this is a kind of nice and secure investment, they'll they'll believe you. I don't, I you know, in a way, it's a it's a kind of flippant. You know, I, I'm not sure how seriously he he really means that, but um, I think he, you know, I think what it illustrates is. Is, is certainly a perception in some quarters in the market that that um, that there's that there's quite sort of soft money knocking about the market that is sort of prepared to invest in any fund that says it you know that, that says it's a, that, that says it's a strong fund.
0: Um, you dismissed the idea of interest rates going up, but isn't that the thing that could actually puncture this? Because you know we're talking about a market and it goes for leverage finance too which is just piling on debt and and seeing no real downside and people are even dismissing the idea that you should be worried about leverage multiples going up but it, it just can't go on like that forever you know there's always a there's always a crash or a something to puncture it so you know up do you think people are beginning to worry about interest rates rising given that they are going up in the us now which often leads europe
2: no, it's a party. No one no one cares about interest rates. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yes, I think I think people are, are, are laser focused on interest rates. Um they do see that as a potential problem in the future. Um I mean it's it's funny you say that. I think um we've spoken about this before, but I've always I've always thought it would be very, very horrible to be the the, the sort of uh, the closest journalist to an asset class that ultimately brings the demise of the <laughs> the financial markets. Um you know that, and, and not notice that um, before the b- before the crash. Um, um,
0: well, that speaks that that goes very sharply to any securitization journalist from before two thousand and eight, <laughs> which I think you know I was.
2: <laughs> uh, well, look, um, it would be good footsteps to follow. Um, <laughs> um, uh, what was your What was your question? Your question was around um, interest rates and whether or not there is systemic risk um, and levels of debt. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know th- this is most people who've been in the direct di- been in direct lending market were, were in banking before. I mean, there is a big one of the stories I haven't written yet is about the RBS diaspora into direct lending. Um, you know, there's, w- wherever you look, there is um, there is a former RBS banker. Um, um and I, I think that they're aware of financial crises and they're aware of that they're not they're not naive about the 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 the, the problems of, of of the asset class uh um, potential risks. Um however you do see terms loosening and you see leverage rising and and I think you know I think what what how they see that is a sort of controlled rise and and being kind of hyper conscious of of potential risks along the line. Um, so I, I'm I'm sure they're totally aware of the potential problems in the market. Whether or not they're prepared to act on those potential problems um, is, is so far kind of unclear.
1: Well, whether direct lending turns out to be a ticking time bomb of credit or continues its rise uninhibited, you'll be able to find out by reading Global Capital and listening to this podcast. Just go to globalcapital.com and sign up for two weeks of free access. Thanks to John and Silas for joining me and to Gerald Hayes, our producer, for editing this podcast. We'll be back next week with more stories from the capital markets. Goodbye.